Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, that, that verse, I was lost in utter darkness until you came and rescued me. That was me, God. That was many, many of us in here. Anyone who has experienced and been saved by your grace need and must say that is true of us. We were lost in utter, utter darkness until you came and rescued us. Thank you, God, for so, such great mercy and such great grace to us. We don't deserve it, and yet you freely give it because it flows from who you are. God, would you change us because of that great love as it flows then out of us to a world that is dark and lost. God, would you let us be the light and show us how to do that. Father, I pray now that you will let your spirit guide us as we uh, continue our worship by studying your word, taking a picture and an a time when you wrote and, and revealed to us who you are and what you wanted us to do and how you wanted us to live. God, would you let your spirit then take that and show us how it needs to be applied in our lives today, this week. And God, if you'd be so pleased to use me, help me to speak clearly. If not, God, move me out of the way so that you still speak clearly. Pray the name in Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Mark, as we read earlier. So if you would like a, a Bible and you want to turn there, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and do that now. If you need a Bible, there should be two or three on each of the rows in front of you. Uh, and we're going to be in the book of Mark there. That's in your New Testament. Kind of open up toward the back and you're looking for uh, either a bunch of red letters or Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. So Matthew, Mark, it's the second book in your New Testament. Or hey, open up to that first page with a table of contents. Says, Fine, Mark. That works too. So uh, book of Mark. And you know, let me ask you... Uh, this question here. Have you ever uh, felt uncomfortable in a situation? You know, maybe you were, you were put into a situation where you felt out of your comfort zone. You know, maybe you left home for the first time or um, you were leaving home for a long extended period of time. Or maybe you're going to that first camp overnight and, and you knew that the people you were going to meet were new and they were different and you weren't sure if you're going to go along. And so you, you felt uncomfortable. You were outside of your comfort zone and maybe it felt daunting Maybe it felt overwhelming. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you were preparing for something and, and you just felt overwhelmed and you, and you really didn't know how the event was going to go and so you just felt like it was a daunting task. You were outside of your comfort zone. Some of you may already be feeling that way because of the potluck. Maybe that was you preparing for the potluck, daunting, overwhelmed, out of your comfort zone. I don't know. But I bet we could all say this. When it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to sharing our beliefs, when it comes to, to living out our beliefs, it can be daunting. It can be overwhelming. And a lot of times it puts us outside of our comfort zone. I don't like to be outside of my comfort zone. I like to structure things to, 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 to be in such a way that I feel comfortable and then when I feel comfortable, then I will operate. But what do we do when God throws us into an uncomfortable situation, pushes us out of that comfort zone and calls us out to go on mission for him. 
That's what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 6. And so last week I invited you back to, to come with me to that time when Jesus was. And so I'm going to invite you again to come back to that time where Jesus was. And so we've been following Jesus now for a while, as I mentioned last week, and, and you've been with me. And, uh, you know, along the way, I mentioned a lot of things that we've seen. But some of those things that stood out to us were the times that Jesus cast out demons and healed people. Because I don't know about you, I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen someone who was possessed and tortured by a demon be freed from that. And I'd never seen a, a, a man have a conversation with a demonic spirit. You just don't go there. And I'd never seen people who were sick be healed instantly like that. And I remember that one time we had gone to Simon Peter's house and, and his mother-in-law, she was sick and she had a fever. And you know, it's not like in your day where you can just pop a few Tylenol and you're good to go. Fevers were a serious matter. Fevers indicated infection, but we didn't know what kind and we couldn't treat that. But I remember how Jesus just healed her and the fever left her. And then she got up and then she served. And then I remember this other time where we were doing what Jesus normally did, you know, on, on a Saturday, a Sabbath, we would go to that religious center of the town. Wherever we were, we'd go to that place. They called it the synagogue. And Jesus would get up and he'd teach. And I remember that time he was teaching, and he was teaching in such a way that was so amazing. I mean, he had such great authority. No one had ever heard a man teach like this before. And apparently it rubbed some people the wrong way because there was that guy, you remember? He started making a, a loud noise and he started calling out and disrupting the, the service. I mean, you don't do that, right? You don't just get up and start yelling and saying, be quiet, Jesus of Nazareth, stop tormenting us. But this man had a demon. And it was the demon that was speaking and the demon was telling Jesus to leave him alone and then Jesus addressed that demon. And he said, come out of him, be quiet. I mean, it was amazing. And, and, and maybe you, you remember those other cases where we were going across the sea. You know, we had just got in that boat and we got to the other side and we don't go to that side of the lake very often. That's, that's where the Gentiles live. And they, they raise pigs. And that's, that's dirty. And so we, uh, we went over there though because Jesus wanted to go there and we got out and there was this man. You, maybe you remember him. He lived in the graveyards. I mean, surely someone like that sticks out to you. And he was naked Surely that sticks out to you. And he was all cut up, right? And, and, and he had been yelling. And they used to bind this man with chains, but he was so strong and, and these chains couldn't hold him because of all the demons. Yes, I said demons. Because he had multiple demons inside of him. People were scared of him. And so they sent him to the graveyard. And, and there he would yell and he would cut himself. But do you remember what he did when he saw Jesus? He walked up to Jesus and he, and he fell at Jesus' feet and again, these demons and Jesus started having a conversation. And these demons, even multiple demons in one person, was no match for this great authority that Jesus had. And, and we watched as, as Jesus commanded those demons, they called themselves legion, there had to be at least hundreds, maybe thousands of them, and he commanded them out of that man. And the man was, was normal again. Then there was that uncomfortable moment, you know, where he sent those demons into the pigs. You know, we thought this was kind of weird, you know. The demons had said, can you send us in the pigs? And Jesus actually honored their request. But do you remember what happened next? Those pigs just ran off the cliff and died. It was like 2,000 of them. Kind of made us a little uncomfortable because we knew that pig farmer had lost all of his pigs. And we knew that was going to hurt. And we weren't, we weren't really sure what to think about that. But nevertheless, we, we went back to our side of the lake. 
And we saw many other people healed. Do you remember there was that one lady that we, we talked about last week who she, she believed that Jesus could heal her so much that she just got into a crowd and she reached her hand through the crowd and just touched his clothes? Because she said, if only I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. I mean, we saw that. This woman who had been bleeding for years. We'd never seen that. Doctors couldn't help her. Doctors only made it worse. But just touching Jesus' clothes healed her. And then you remember there was that little girl that right after that, that woman was healed, we went and she had died a few hours earlier. But Jesus grabbed her hand gently and said, hey, get up, little girl. And she got up like she was just sleeping. We've seen some really neat things as we follow Jesus. We've seen some, some really powerful things, people being healed and demons being cast out. I mean, this is getting pretty exciting. And, and so you can imagine how exciting it was for us as we're just kind of seeing all this and we get to be kind of close to Jesus. You know, this, this is getting really exciting and we're thinking, you know, this is, this is great. We're next to the head guy. This guy's gonna do something great. I mean, things are headed towards a, a really neat and powerful place, maybe the kingdom that we've all been waiting for. And we're walking next to him. Some of us get to see some pretty intimate moments with him. And we're thinking, this is, this is exactly what I signed up for when Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And so we're looking forward to what, what was going to happen next and as we followed Jesus and went where he went. And so you can imagine our surprise then when one day Jesus started calling us to himself. The 12 of us, you know, the ones he kept closest. And as he called us, he started pairing us up. Simon and Andrew, you guys. Peter and James, you guys. And then he started to explain to us that he was sending us out. That he was going to send us out on mission and that we were supposed to take the message that he's preaching and we're going to go out and preach the same message. Wait a minute, Jesus. I, I thought when you said follow me, we were going to get to stay with you. I mean, we're, we're comfortable here. It's safe here. We get to, to have a front row seat to all these powerful miracles and, and the, these healings. And Jesus, I didn't sign up to go out on mission for you. I, I signed up to follow you, watch you, learn from you, maybe sit at your right hand when the kingdom comes. Jesus, what do you mean you're going to go out on mission? People don't know our names. They know your name, Jesus. It's at the name of Jesus that people know the power and authority is coming out. Do you even think they're going to listen to us, Jesus? Is this what you meant, Jesus, when, when, when you took us from fishing that one day and you said, come follow me and I'm going to make you into fishers of people? Is this what we're doing now, Jesus? We're going to go fishing? But Jesus just kept explaining he kept explaining the mission. We were to go out, and he's going to send us two by two, and we were to go and proclaim the same message that he had. But then he said something that really kind of, kind of perked us up and changed a little bit because he says, the same authority that I have, I'm giving to you to cast out demons. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, we've watched this. We've seen it. And now Jesus says, that same authority, that same power you've seen in me, I'm giving it to you. And you can cast out demons too. Well, all of a sudden, I, we weren't feeling so anxious. I mean, don't get me wrong, the fear of the unknown was still there, but all of a sudden, hey, Jesus just told us we get his power. Jesus told us we get his authority. And, and, and if I come up against a demon, well, I can cast it out just like Jesus did. That changes things for me. That kind of builds me up. 
That kind of encourages me. But as is the case with following Jesus, and maybe some of you have experienced this before too, as you follow Jesus, uh, sometimes he'll call us to do something or he'll send us out and we think we've kind of got a handle on it and we're ready to go, but then he'll reveal to us something different. He's, he, he always tends to push us out of our comfort zone. See, what he started to explain was the urgency of this mission and how quickly time was of the essence we needed to go. And so he started to explain, hey, you don't go home and get any bread. No snacks for the road. Hey, you don't, you don't go home and get one of those bags, you know, like the beggars carry, that when you go to a town and maybe you don't have enough money, you, you hold out so that people can put money in it and that's how you, how you can survive. He said, don't bring any bags. Don't pack anything in that bag. He told us not to, you know, a lot of us, we carry money on our belts. He told us not to bring any money. He told us, he told us that, yes, we can have a staff, you know, because that, that'll be helpful as we travel maybe in some of that rocky terrain and, and maybe if we need to fend off some wild beasts, we can have a staff and we can wear the shoes on our feet. But he told us, don't take that extra tunic, you know, that extra robe that we would wear. A lot of times when we travel, we like to use that extra robe to cover up at night and use it as a blanket so we can keep warm. Or sometimes since we don't always know when you're traveling where you're going to stay, uh, we kind of fold it up and we use it as a pillow. And Jesus said, don't take an extra one, just what you have on your back. He started to take away all of our comforts, all of our securities, all the things that when Jesus says, go out on mission, that we're thinking, okay, but if I can at least have this, then I'll be okay. If I can at least have this, I'll be okay. If this situation works out, and Jesus is saying, no, time is of the essence. You've got to go now. You know, hospitality is a big thing in our culture. Hospitality is not like what you think about hospitality. A lot of times what you might think about hospitality is having people over from your church to your house. That's not hospitality. That's fellowship. That's what we call fellowship. Hospitality is welcoming a stranger into your home. Hospitality uh, for us mean, means when someone is traveling through our country, through our town, and they're stopping for the night, hospitality means taking them in. Hospitality for us means sometimes even taking a stranger in who doesn't share your beliefs. It's a big thing. And we were going to have to rely on hospitality as we went on this mission because Jesus said to us, hey, when you get to a town, you go and you stay with the first person that welcomes you into their home. See, because there were other people who would travel around at the time, other teachers, other philosophers, and they had kind of developed a bad reputation. See, because what was happening was they would go and they'd stay at one person's house and maybe they, they didn't feed them the best food, but then they heard a rumor that the neighbor next door, they had, a, they had just butchered a cow, so they were going to be having some prime rib that night. And so they would go over there and they'd try to work their way in there and they'd bounce from house to house, kind of taking the best of everything. And Jesus says, don't be like that because that discredits you. That makes people think that it's really, your message is only about your gain. And the message I'm sending you out is not about you, it's about me. And so he told us, when we go to a town, stay at the first house. And as long as you're in that town, stay in that house. And then he also said to us that if we go to a town and people don't welcome us in, you mean, Jesus, people aren't going to welcome us? When you go to that town and people don't welcome you in, he said to just leave that town. And on our way out, Dust, the, 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 dust the, the sand and the dirt off your shoes. And he said, do that as a testimony to them. See, now that's a practice that we're familiar with. 
You know, it's something that uh, sometimes when people would travel outside of the land of Israel, on their way back into Israel, before they would actually step foot into the Holy Land, you know, Israel, what they would do is they would stop and they would shake the dust off their feet from all that unclean land that they traveled in. You know, the, the non-Jewish land? Because they didn't want to bring unclean dirt into the Holy Land. You know, we, we've also got some of our old prophets that, that we've heard stories of from, from childhood. Maybe you've heard some of the same stories about these prophets, how when they would go and they would, they would share this message from God to the people that God wanted them to go. And, and usually that message was repent, turn back, you know, because they had started following other gods, worshiping idols. And so God would send these, these prophets, you know, they're our heroes. We look up to them. I don't think any of us really want to be one, but we do look up to them. You know, and, and, and they would go and they would say these, these, these great messages or do these great things and call people back to, to the law, to obeying God and loving God. And sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, when they would preach these messages of righteousness, people would just reject them. They wouldn't listen to the message. In fact, they'd try to kill some of them. And so we, we know of, of some of our prophets who, when they would leave their town, that's what they would do. They would shake the dust off their feet or they would take off their outer tunic, you know, and they would shake it out. And they would use that to say, this dust is like you. My hands are clean. I've done and fulfilled my responsibility. I've carried out the message that God sent me with and your response of not on me. I'm not guilty for your rejection. And sometimes they would shake it out and they would say, just like this dust is being released from my sandal or my tunic, so you're going to be released from God because you've rejected God and you've rejected his message. And so Jesus told us to do that if we were rejected. So we went. And, and we, we went with the power and the authority of Jesus. And, and we did some really neat things. You know, I mean, we, we did encounter demons. We did encounter sick people and we healed them. We know we, had, we carry olive oil with us sometimes and, and we, we put that on sick people because a lot of times that, that has some medicinal healing power. But you know, what we tend to use that oil for when we travel around is we put that oil on them and it's symbolic of God's presence and it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so we would put that oil, we would anoint them, we'd put it on their head or we'd pour it on their head and then we would pray for them and they'd be healed. I mean, J Jesus said he was giving us his authority and his power and we actually saw that happen. It's pretty neat. Can I share something else with you though? You know, Jesus had told us that we were supposed to go out on mission for him. You know, as his followers, we were supposed to become fishers. So he sends us out and he tells us that there's gonna be towns that are gonna reject us you know what I started to think about when he said there's going to be towns that are going to reject us? You know, I remember that Jesus had oftentimes gone to towns and a lot of the pastors and preachers of that day in that town, they didn't take too kindly to Jesus and his message. In fact, many of them, many of them accused him of blaspheming God and many of them tried to kill him and they were trying to, they, they just weren't nice. You know, not what you would expect from a pastor or a preacher. And so I remember that. I remember that Jesus was rejected. And I thought, well, if we're going to carry out Jesus' message, does that mean we're going to be rejected? You know, because people don't respond to a message of righteousness very well. In fact, we'd recently seen someone killed, heard about a friend, someone we knew who was killed because he was carrying out and proclaiming a message of righteousness. You know him, John the Baptist. You remember that guy? The one that was in the wilderness early on, the one that baptized Jesus, the weird one that ate bugs? That's the guy. I mean, he was a pretty neat guy. 
and we had just heard about how he was killed. And here's how it happened, you know. So, so John, you know, he would travel as he was preaching. And King Herod, who kind of was the ruler of this area that we live in, of Judea, when, when John went and visited him one time, he heard about something King Herod had done. You see, King Herod, not a man who exercises self-control, a man who gets what he wants. Uh, he's a politician, really. You, you know about these guys. You know, they say what, what you want to hear to get what they want to get. They're slippery guys. Well, King Herod had traveled to Rome to visit his brother Philip. Well, his brother Philip had this wife, Herodias. Now, King Herod was married. But when he laid eyes on Herodias, she was hot. Let me just say that. She was hotter than his wife, at least. So he thought. He was dissatisfied. And he saw something he wanted. And so, so he went and he divorced his wife, his first wife, and then he convinced Herodias to divorce her husband. And then the two got married. Well, when John heard about this, he started preaching out against this because it's not right. It's not righteous. I mean, that's not a good example for the king of the, the Judean, where the Jews live. That's not a good example. You don't go and divorce one wife because the other one's hotter. There's no self-control in that. So John would preach against that. He would constantly tell Herod and Herodias, this is not right, this is adultery, this marriage is not, is not righteous. Well, you know, that bothered them. I mean, it would you, right? I mean, it would bother me. When someone calls out your sin, when someone tells you that the way you're living, it, it goes against God, that bothers me. It bothered them. But they're in positions of power and, and very public. And so, you know, Herod, Herod actually liked John. He liked to listen to John. And I found this to be, be kind of true of, of people in power, people in authority. They like to listen to preachers and pastors. They like to, to have their ears tickled. They like to, to learn and, and hear different views. But they never intend to really submit themselves to it or change because of it. They really just want to hear all the different things that are out there. Maybe use that as a platform at some point. Hey, I'm friends with this, this group of, of religious people. I'm friends with the Jews. Today, you have people running for president who when they, they run, they say, I'm a Christian. And they use that. It, it, I found that that's, that's really kind of true of just people and power and influence sometimes. And so Herod, he kind of liked to listen to John. And so he didn't want to do anything about it. But Herodias, Herodias, her guilt just weighed real heavy on her. And she had a grudge. And, and she wasn't letting go of that grudge. She wanted to do something about John. She wanted to take him out. She really had wanted to a long time ago. But she couldn't because her husband respected the guy. And her husband wasn't going to let anything happen to the guy. But then came this night where Herod was having a birthday and he threw himself his own party. Does that tell you anything about the guy? I mean, he, he threw himself his own party for his birthday. That either tells me the guy had no friends to throw it for him or he just thought so highly of himself that he's worthy of a party. And he throws himself this birthday party and he invites all of his military leaders and, and all of his government officials, really high, high in authority people. And, and you know what typically happens at a party, at a banquet like this, is there's entertainment. I mean, you do it. You know, you bring in clowns, you bring in jump toys, you bring in people who are juggling or, you know, other things. And this party had other things. This party, a lot of times they would bring in uh, dancers. And, uh, you know, these dancers, they would entertain the men folk. I think your culture knows about that kind of dancer, right? And, and that's what, what was going on. Usually they'd bring in a common, commoner, though, you know, someone, someone who's not part of the royal family. But, but this night on the birthday, Herodias' daughter 
and, and Herod's daughter, she comes into the banquet room and she starts to dance for these men and for Herod, her dad. She must have done a really good job because, because the way I heard the story, Herod got really excited at his own daughter's dancing. In fact, Herod was turned on by his own daughter's dancing. It's, it's really disgusting. But because he was so turned on, and, and, I, and I think you guys know the power that a woman has over a man, particularly when a woman seduces a man and that man has no self-control. I think you know, and we've seen many men fall at the hands of a seductive woman or because they had no self-control. You make some pretty rash decisions in those moments when you're pleased, when you're entertained, and so did Herod. In fact, he was so pleased and so entertained that he says to his daughter right there in front of everyone, he says, anything you want, it's yours. Anything up to half of my kingdom, it's yours. Well, you know, she's, she's in her mid-teens. She doesn't really know what to ask for, so what does she do? Well, the way the story goes, she went and she asked her mom, Herodias, who was, who was in another room, hey, mom, dad's given me a request. I can ask anything I want up to half of this kingdom. What should I ask for? Herodias saw her chance. And she says to her daughter, tell him you want John the Baptist and you want his head on a platter like an animal. Okay, mom. So she goes in back to, to the, 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 the room where the banquet was and she says to her dad, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Well, Herod was grieved because remember I told you, Herod liked the guy. Herod liked listening to him. But what is he gonna do? I mean, he just made this oath in front of all of these people, his military leaders and his, his government officials. If he doesn't follow through, he's going to look weak. He's going to look embarrassed. He's got to keep his word in front of all these people. So he sends the executioner to go take John out of prison, cut off his head, and put it on a platter, and it's served up. Here, John a guy who was preaching a, a message of righteousness, calling people to righteous living, calling people to repentance back to God. The same type of message that Jesus is sending us out to preach, a message of righteousness, a, re- a message of repentance, calling people back to God. When Jesus called us out to go on mission, that's what was going through my mind. And I thought, is this something that I'm going to encounter? carrying a righteous message into a world that is dark and lost and, and calling people to righteous living and calling them back to God, to repentance, calling them to, to change their beliefs about God. Maybe they don't believe in him and calling him to, them to change their beliefs about who God is and, and really calling them back to God and, and, and pointing them to who this Jesus guy is. The one that God has promised, the one that he has sent, the savior of the world. If I go out and I proclaim this message to a world that doesn't want to hear it, I might be persecuted like Jesus is. I might suffer like John did. What about my family? That's what I was thinking when Jesus said, go out on mission. It's time for my followers to become fishers. That's what I was thinking. When we got back from our trip, on our mission, we all were so excited about the stuff we'd seen. I mean, we had seen some neat things like I told you. We had seen people healed. We had seen demons cast down. Jesus' authority really was with us 
and we proclaimed his message. So we were excited to get back to Jesus and tell him, hey, Jesus, there was this one town, and in this one town I said this, and, and I saw this guy who, who just like that time when you were teaching, he got upset because he had a demon, and, and I knew I was preaching truth, and they got upset. And, and, and so then what I said was, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. And he came out. I mean, we're telling these stories, and we're telling Jesus about what happened, and we're all so excited and, and we're trying to tell them all these stories, but in between telling them all these stories, they still got these crowds that follow Jesus. You know, we, everywhere we go, Jesus has got crowds now. And they're all trying to, 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 to get Jesus' time and attention because really the, the needs of ministry never stop. Really, really the needs in a, in a world that's dark and lost, they never end. And so Jesus in all of his wisdom, he's such a good leader, such a, really a shepherd. And what he said to us was, hey, you know what? I want to hear more, and you need to rest. And so he invited us to this private place, away from the crowds, away from all the demands. And so we went with him so that we could be refreshed, so that we could spend more time with Jesus after we had been sent out. So that's our story this morning. Jesus takes his followers and he calls them to be fishers. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe, maybe you didn't know that following Jesus doesn't mean you just sit in a church, take, 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 take. Go to Bible study, take, 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 take. Maybe you didn't know that at some point a follower is supposed to become a fisher. See, that's what Jesus always intended, was a follower becomes a fisher. And then they're sent out on mission. And just like in, in the, the text this morning where Jesus says, don't take any bag, don't take any, uh, any other shoes, don't take any cloak, don't take money. He was teaching them to trust God's provision. He was teaching them that when they go out on mission, they have to trust God for his provision. And so uh, followers are meant to become fishers who go out on mission and trust God for his provision. Followers are meant to become fishers who then go out on mission and trust God for his provision. If you are following Christ, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you are a follower. And you are a follower who is meant to go fishing. Because Jesus didn't call followers just to, to stay close to him and sit at his feet. The goal was to spend time with Jesus, learn from him, send them out. But I understand it is hard for us to go and fish in this culture. Because in a culture where, where there's really a whole lot of religious talk, I mean, there's really a lot of spiritual talk. People are very open to it. I mean, you have religious and spiritual conversations almost every day, but not necessarily about your faith. Everybody has religious beliefs. Everybody has spiritual beliefs and something they believe in. And in a society and in our culture here in America where, where we are being pushed towards tolerance toward everyone else, people really feel free to talk about what they believe. Except us. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. Because part of what we believe as followers of Christ is that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. We believe that salvation only comes through Jesus and that those who don't place their trust in him will not be with God in heaven, but instead will 
endure eternal torment in hell. And in our society, that's not a welcome conversation to have. And so when, when, when we hear things like followers are meant to become fishers and then go out on mission, it really becomes important that we learn to trust God for his provision when we go out on mission. Because just like the disciples in the text this morning, there's gonna be some people who welcome that. They're gonna be open. They're gonna say, please tell me. You know, and, I, and I've been a part of those conversations where people are at the end of their rope and they've tried everything. And you say, you know, can I tell you something that, that I believe that I think might help you? please. And they're open. And that's a great, very easy conversation to have. But sometimes going and, and living on mission means you're going to people who are lost and, and dark and, and are not open to what you believe. But you're called to go on mission. As a follower of Christ, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you're called to go on mission. There's a season that you follow and then there's a season where you start fishing. And then maybe after fishing for a while, you come back and you, you sit in that following mode a little bit more. I mean, really, it's all following. But, you know, just like after they came back, they went and spent time with Jesus. There's seasons, ebb and flows, come and goes. But you're called to become a fisher. And you're called to go out on mission. And it really requires that we trust God for his provision. So what does that look like? See, because you're on mission here in El Reno, here in Calumet, Minko, Union City, Hinton, Oklahoma City, Yukon, you're on mission. Wherever you live, wherever you work, the kids you interact with at school, the parents you interact with at school, your coworkers, the people you interact with in stores, you are on mission. Can I clarify something for you though? Mission doesn't mean you have to become a street evangelist, preaching at the corner with a bullhorn, holding a sign that, that everyone's going to hell unless they place their trust in Jesus. That doesn't mean you do that. Going on mission also doesn't mean that every single person you come in contact with has to hear the gospel from your lips. That doesn't necessarily require you to be on mission. You know, the Bible requires us to do two things as followers of Christ who go on mission. Live out what we believe and proclaim what we believe. Sometimes the two line up in the same moment and sometimes they don't. Sometimes all you get to do is live out what you believe. Sometimes... God's so pleased to use you to proclaim what you believe. Now, don't fall into a trap and only think one or the other is good. You see, just living out what you believe is not enough. People don't get saved because they watch the way you live. But I do need to say this. If you don't believe what you're actually living out, maybe you should spend some time thinking about that, searching that, because if you start proclaiming something that you really don't believe, you might as well just keep your mouth shut because people will see right through that. That's not, the, that's not the type of mission that God is sending you on. God sends these guys out on mission because they've, they've been they're spending time with Jesus. They understand uh, that, that God is doing something and they understand the grace they've been shown and they're gonna go out and they're gonna share, share the same thing. They're excited about the message that they're sharing. If you're not excited about it, keep your mouth shut for a while and spend some time getting excited about it. I was lost in utter darkness until you came and rescued me. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe you need it rescuing, you need to spend some more time reading the Bible about what it says about who God is and who we are and how we needed God to love us first. We needed God to act and call us and to intervene in our lives. 
before you got on a mission. So don't, don't fall into this trap where you think all I've got to do is, is live it, but I'll never proclaim it. Because how can people believe unless they hear? But also don't fall in the trap that if, if you haven't shared the gospel from your lips that you haven't lived on mission, that's false too. Because you know what? A lot of us tend to treat, treat the gospel like a magical cantation. Just a magical phrase. If I just say it, people will get saved. They don't. They get saved when God saves them. They get saved when God uses the truth behind that message to pierce their hearts, open their eyes, lead them to believe, and they believe. That's not on you. That's not on me. That's all on God. Our responsibility is to live on mission, live out what we believe, proclaim the message when we have opportunities to do so, and let God do the rest. Let God break down the walls. Let, let God open the eyes of people. Let God open their hearts so that they can respond to the gospel. That's living on mission, but you have to put two together. You can't just proclaim this magical phrase, kind of like what we do sometimes at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen, right? It's not bad to pray in Jesus' name, but how, how often do we end our prayers like that? And really what we're thinking is, if I don't say that phrase, then I haven't prayed in his name. That's not at all what that's all about. Praying in Jesus' name is about praying based on the, the righteousness of Christ that allows us to go before the throne of grace. And so we, we, say, we pray, and we're praying based on Jesus' righteousness, not our own. And a lot of times what we do to express that is to say, we're coming to you, God, on behalf of Jesus. But too often in our cultures, we just kind of treat that like another magical phrase, in Jesus' name. Place your trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Don't treat the gospel like a magical phrase and just think, I go proclaim it, people get saved. You've got to have both to live on mission. You've got to live out what you believe and proclaim what you believe. And sometimes those two happen together. Sometimes it's living out what you believe that affords you the opportunity to proclaim what you believe and people listen. Sometimes God will just use you to, to, to talk to someone you never met in your life and you proclaim what you believe and God uses that. God does whatever he wants. Our responsibility is to become fishers and to live on mission. So what is that going to be for those of you who have placed your trust in Christ? You're on mission this week. In your town, in your school, the kids you interact with, the parents you interact with, the people in the grocery store, what is that going to look like? What does it look like for you to live out your beliefs? To live out the fact that you are covered in grace and you're saved by grace. You didn't have to learn, earn it. You don't have to perform it. How are you going to extend that to other people? And I understand there's some of you this morning who maybe you're, you're uh, checking out this church thing for the first time or first time in a while. You're not really on board. Um, maybe you would not consider yourself a, a follower of Christ. Um, maybe you're, you're, you're listening or maybe you just came with someone and you're wondering, you know what? Why would someone go out and proclaim a message when they know that it's probably going to get them persecution? Why would they do that? Why would someone sign up for that? Can I just say the reason people sign up for something like that, the reason John continued to proclaim his message, the reason that these disciples were willing to go out on mission is because they understood who God was, they understood who they were, and they understood their desperate need and how utterly lost they were, and they understood how great God's grace was and how, how overwhelmingly his love flooded their lives, and they were captured by that. And they were overwhelmed with it so that they can't hold it in. It actually changed the way they live. That's why people sign up for that. That's why people are willing to become fishers and live on mission. Because God's love is great. It's overwhelming. And there are more people who need to know about it. There are people who need to know that God's love 
is what motivated him to send Christ into the world to live a righteous life and satisfy God's requirement. And then he died for sinners so that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's love. That's God's mercy. People need to hear that. And when you're captured by that, when you understand your need and the mercy and the grace that God has given you, it should motivate you to go out and live on mission. That's why people sign up and they're willing to do that. I mean, you're familiar with people living for a cause. People die for causes all the time. But they die for causes that don't last. Even some of the greatest sacrifices that we know for our country, for our freedom, they're for here on earth. But when we go and we proclaim God's message, the gospel, that Jesus came, he lived and he died and he rose again, And if you believe in him, you'll have life. We're proclaiming a message that has eternal value past this earth, past this life. That's why people sign up for it. Followers are meant to become fishers who go out on mission, but you have to trust God for his provision. So God, we need your help to do that. We need your help to grow deeper roots Uh, to trust you when we are sent out. God, would you let your spirit teach us and grow in our understanding that we are called to go and live, that God, in your wisdom, you have so planned that your message would be proclaimed by your church, your followers. And yet, God, so many times people who proclaim your message, they do it and their life does not add up. So God, I pray for our integrity. I pray for for our lives that you would uh, continue to shape and grow us, conform us, God, into the image of Christ. Overwhelm us with your love for us so that when we go and live on mission, it's because we're excited about what you've done, because we can't keep it in, just like a good meal or a great movie. We have no problem talking about those things, God, when we're excited. We have a problem talking about you. Grow our roots deep, God. I pray for those here who maybe are considering uh, what it looks like to follow you, God. Would you draw them in? Would you, would you give them some understanding a little bit more maybe? Move them a, a step forward from where they are. Take something that's been said today and, and, and plant it deep so they chew on it. God, when you're pleased, I pray that you draw them to you. Open their eyes so that they would understand the truth of the gospel and respond in faith. These things I ask because of the blood of Christ. Amen. And if you're able, I want to invite you to stand and we will dismiss. It's time to go on a fishing trip. We need people who are willing to wade in the water. We need people who are willing to go deep sea fishing. People who are willing to go fishing in ponds and lakes. We need people who need to go salt water and fresh water. People of all kinds to reach people of all kinds. You are called to go out on mission. So do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week.